Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Our guest will be George Plaster of Nashville Sports Radio. We are looking for a title sponsor, so if you're interested, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. Our news is presented by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200, see what your rights are, and if they can help. Well, some unexpected good news for Vanderbilt baseball, right-handed pitcher, Christian Little from Christian Brothers High School in St. Louis, Missouri, has gone ahead and decided to enroll at Vanderbilt this fall. He was originally a 2021 graduate who is reclassified, so he will join the team this fall and enroll in school. The guest line is presented by our friends at Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable sheets could be until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins me now from Nashville Sports Radio. George, it has been a couple of weeks. We have baseball now, and thank you for joining me today. Everybody uh, who's listening to this is safe and well and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and thank God we have something to talk about for a change. I hope we just have it for a while longer, but I'm starting to get concerned about that. You know, I did a show a couple of weeks ago where I just basically asked for caller response. And, and I sort of said on the front end, look, I know I can be a little cynical. I know I can be a little negative, but I'm starting to get the vibe that while everybody's going to start, how many are going to finish? And, you know, more and more, that seems like a fair question. Uh, it looks to me like MLS will get finished. Got a lot of confidence on the NHL level. Not real confident on the uh, Major League Baseball front and not totally certain on the NBA front. Um, you know, we're, we're just in some goofy times. And I think the thing that I'm learning is that when bad news hits, don't jump off the roof and just say it's over. Take a step back and see if there are ways to fix it where you don't have to ultimately just totally shut the thing down. Yeah, and I'm not, well, I guess it depends on the moment because I have gone through the whole spectrum of thoughts, but I look at Major League Baseball's model, and by the way, we will get to college football in the mailbag. There's a question there, but I see what happened with the Marlins, and I wondered why they didn't just go ahead and dip into their minor leagues. I mean, you've got a 60-man roster pool, right? And, of course, MLB is now saying they'll reschedule those games later. I guess, I don't know, and this isn't really driven by anything other than the fact that these teams have 60-player rosters. And you would think at some point with what's happening with the Marlins, that would send a little bit of a shockwave through baseball as to, okay, there must be something off in their procedures, so let's fix this. I don't know. I have some optimism that with the 60-man roster pool that they will 
finish this somehow. Maybe that's false optimism. Maybe the product uh, looks like it did in the NFL in 87 or whenever that is when they had scab players. I don't know. I would, at this point, I would take that to no baseball. At least you get to see some future prospects and things. I've rambled a bit, but I guess the point is, I don't know where this is going with baseball, but it seems to me that with the roster pool, there's a way in place where they may be able to finish this. Well, first of all, I think the Marlins will be dipping into that roster, uh, that 60-man pool, because they don't really have any choice. When you lose 17, that's 68% of a 25-man roster, and what would it be, 54% of a 30-man roster. So there's no doubt that they're scouring the, the waiver wire to see who's out there, who's available. But they also have this pool that's available, and they'll end up using it when they play again next Tuesday. Here's what I think is going to come out of that. I think the Marlins knew full well on Sunday that they didn't need to be playing, that they had four positives already that they knew about and could confirm. And I think they just sort of had a team vote. They played pretty well in Philly. And I think their guys really wanted to, to play and they gave into it. And in retrospect, that should not have happened. Although I'll say this, they played pretty damn well. Cause I watched the game. I've got the uh, extra innings package. And on Sunday they tore into Philadelphia's pitching lost in the shuffle the marlins look to me like they're getting a little better now maybe not health wise but on the field a year from now they might be a little more interesting than they have been yeah and i'm going to direct the conversation back to vanderbilt sports just for the benefit of our audience so they know this but i do think to that i follow major league baseball pretty closely too and i think they've made some really good free agent pickups the aguilar one would be one of those I think that they have done some things where they've got a competitive team and with their pitching prospects and guys like J.J. Bladey on the horizon, I think that it's going to get better for them soon. Yeah, I'm not sure I give Derek Zuna and they had to get something in return. I mean, that's a, that is a outfield of riches when you think about it. And so they now have some really good young talent going through their pipeline. They can't help but get better. George, let's circle back to Vanderbilt. And we are coming up on six months for Candace Lee in the athletic job, if you, athletic director's job, that is, if you want to include her interim time, which I do. And of course, as I've said before, she ran the AD for probably the better part of a year and a half during the latter part of Williams's tenure. We can debate how much control she had over things. That's not super important right now, but she has run the department in that capacity before. But I want to get into some things, and you know personally, I've canceled this podcast so many times because it's to a point with Vanderbilt Athletics that you have almost nothing positive to talk about outside of baseball. And I've said, I don't want to be that guy that's just beating the drum continuously. And I have given my opinions on here on the podcast before, and I basically have laid off until she does something that you just can't ignore and is fodder for discussion. So I kind of feel like it's gone this way that 
I have not wanted to just sit here and stay on the gas pedal on her, but she just keeps giving you stuff. And the media relations fiasco a couple of weeks ago, the latest of that and some things that have come out and her handling of that. So what I want to do is just step back and take the 30,000-foot view on her with some background. And there were two narratives on Candace that we heard. Um, I heard both from people I trust. And you tell me if this sounds familiar. I'm going to give you the one that, that was pro her. And this came from people inside and outside of Vanderbilt that people liked her. They felt like she could win a room a lot of times, that she was an advocate for student-athletes, and was probably the biggest selling point for her would be that she had a chance to get stuff done within the school, within Kirkland Hall, because she's good friends with Brett Sweet and with Susan Wente and some of those people. And people argued for her that because of that, she had the best chance to get some stuff done for athletes that maybe other people couldn't do. Would you say that that's a fair summation of what you heard also? Oh, absolutely. You know, but the, the bottom line to it is I don't really know that it matters what the narrative is because up at Kirkland, they don't care. And look, I have no doubt that she would like to do good things, but she's also got to look in the mirror and say, what am I dealing with? And I think anybody with a brain at this point has figured out that what you're dealing with is a Kirkland Hall where athletics is not anywhere close to a priority. Yeah, and we're going to get back to that in a minute. Um, The other narrative on her, and it's one that you also heard from her critics, was that she didn't really get a lot of things done, uh, that people didn't trust her over there. Uh, that a lot of times things went to Candace and then everything stopped there, that things didn't get done, uh, that she was a David Williams disciple. And, and David, to be honest, that a lot of times ruled with a lot of fear and intimidation inside of that building. Um, and, you know, in other words, if we're not going to get stuff done, we'll threaten everybody. Um, and the bottom line is what a lot of people thought with Candace was that she would be a puppet for Kirkland Hall and would bend to its wills. Is that a pretty good summation of what the other side of the story was before she took over in your estimation? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a hard thing to sit there and throw out that somebody's a puppet because I don't think anybody deep down wants to be a puppet, but again, she's got to look at the landscape of what's going on over there and be smart enough to realize that's what they're trying to pigeonhole her into is just the person that slowly but surely brings this thing to a grinding halt. And that's what it feels like is going on. It also feels to me like there's been a propaganda war because the news keeps coming out and people keep jumping on her. And for good reason, I've done it. And then, you know, a week or two will pass and something will come out somewhere. And latest, it was in The Athletic. And you have people that are supporting her and saying that she's not a puppet and those things aren't fair and she's great and she's loved. And I'm just going, okay, now we're to the point where you have a track record in front of you that extends back a few years and you also have what people are saying. And it seems to me like every time a set of facts comes out that says something about her record, you've got this pushback from people that are just saying, well, these things about her aren't true, 
even though you have kind of a mounting body of evidence in, in front of her uh, that, that suggests maybe the criticisms are fair. Yeah, I don't pay a lot of attention. Sort of, I guess, the, the machine that's out there that, oh, everything's beautiful. Everything's not beautiful. First of all, you brought up at the beginning um, the whole thing about the media relations uh, firings. And I thought that was incredibly poorly handled. And, and I want to get specific about what I mean by that, because the truth of it is there's no good way to fire people. And, you know, I've been I've been down that road and, you know, the laughter should start and say, well, now, which one of these are we talking about? But the point is that when that group got the axe, she was nowhere to be found. And that's wrong. That's just dead wrong. And, you know, that was left to a human resources person uh, through some sort of a Zoom call. I understand we're in difficult times. Number one, this should never have happened during the pandemic. I don't know who it is thought this was such a great idea during this time. But as I've said on the air, you know, and I've aimed it at Stephen Ertle, who is the guy that sort of masterminded this whole plan, which is, you know, let's see how it feels to you if somebody walks in tomorrow and does this to you. Now, whatever the case, Candace should have been involved in that. She should have been at least one of the messengers. And I'm sure there's some HR reason that they're sitting there saying, we don't want you in the room or we don't want you on the Zoom. But she should have been kicking and screaming going, these are people that work with me and I need them to know you know, what's what, and hear it from me, and hear it from the heart, as opposed to kind of a press release kind of feel to it. That was a huge mistake on her end. I don't see any accountability from her or for anybody over there. And one of the interesting things that came out in the Rex Road article is that they pointed the finger back at development. Well, that's interesting because Vanderbilt has denied for so long that development was an issue. And now that they have gotten rid of Susie Stalkup, who was the head of that department, who was a problem from what I'm told, it's awfully convenient for them to point the finger at somebody that's now gone. And they seem to do that an awful lot. You know, when, when Williams is gone, he's not the problem. Or when he's there, you know, people defend him when he's gone. Well, David was the problem. Well, people would take up for Zeppos when he's there, but when Nick is gone, Nick's the problem. That's what they keep seeming to do is nobody on that campus who's there now ever takes any responsibility for the dysfunction or the things that aren't going well. And as soon as they jettison someone off, they kind of point the finger over there uh, for a while, and that just seems to be a pattern with Vanderbilt. Well, here's another thing to throw into that mix. Okay, we don't know a lot about this new chancellor. But the fact of the matter is that this happened on his watch. So I would assume he knew about it. Okay, if he didn't know about it, either shame on him or shame on the machinery for the top of the school not knowing it. But if he did know it and he said, this is the way to handle it, 
fire these people on a Zoom call, don't have their boss involved in it. What does that say? Well, I suspect what it says is this. He's coming into a new job. He's got a pandemic on top of it. When in doubt, you're probably going to trust your chief offices, which are the folks who work in Kirkland Hall, and and it's her, her being Candace. And so you've got to lean on your leadership team and trust they know what they're talking about. But I've said for a while, that's an assumption I think he should have questioned his first day on the job. And now I think he's paying for it. Yeah, I mean, the jury's out on what we're getting from him, but the early returns, and they're really early, so it's probably unfair to say this. It just kind of feels like more of the same. Well, and I want to rewind on Candace Lee's track record for a minute, uh, because I think when you have conflicting narratives, you look at the facts, right? That's the foundation of our justice system. And let's go back to that a minute. Um, I think she's done two really significant things in her time as AD. Uh, Well, I say in her time as AD, that would sort of include the time that she ran the department, and she ran that women's hoops hire. She ran it everything from the committee that she assembled to making the decisions. What I have been told from multiple good sources is that there were two candidates who had final fours and very good track records to their credit that she wouldn't even talk to, The buzz coming out of that search is it wasn't about finding the best coach. Uh, It was about finding other things. And you see what they have gotten now. They have a coach who's got a 13-51 and record in her time on the job, hired by a person who played in that program and should know better than anybody how well it works. I don't understand why people did not see that as the red flag that it was from the beginning. Well... You know as well as I do, when, when a new hire is made in the coaching world, there's, you know, the bands playing in the background, happy days are here again, and nobody wants to come out at the very beginning and say, this has got no chance of working. And yet we all, from time to time, see a hire where we feel that way. And, you know, I, I'm aware because a couple of friends of mine were involved in offering suggestions and it doesn't seem like the people that were involved in making the decision paid any attention to Tim Thompson. That's who I'm talking about. Tim is as wired into the coaching community as any human being going based on his job with Nike. And I think it's been a huge mistake that they have consistently ignored uh, advice information, however you want to call it. If I were an athletic director, and thank goodness for everybody, I'm not. Tim is the guy I'd be leaning on because, number one, he's a friend. But more importantly, he's really wired into that community. You know, and to that, to take a sidebar for a moment, when they picked the committee to pick the athletic director, which ended up being Malcolm Turner, it had about 25 people on it. I am steadfast I was at the time and I am now I said the two people that you start that committee with are Tim Thompson and Tim Corbin because they know 50 times as much as everybody else they picked on that committee combined and they did not put those guys on the committee 
I said it publicly from the beginning. I've said it on podcasts. I said it on my site. That is where you start if you want to get the best AD. And the fact that Vanderbilt keeps ignoring advice of people like that or or calls to people on the committee that know what they're doing, and then they'll put guys on that you look and you're like, how do these people even have any connection to or knowledge of sports? That told me right there that they probably were not interested in getting the best athletic director. They were probably interested in getting something else. Well, you're probably right about that. Uh, you, you followed that search a lot closer than I did. But I knew enough to know that Tim had made some suggestions that nobody had really paid any attention to it, and I'm befuddled by that. I just know if I was an athletic director, he'd be a guy whose counsel I would ask for. And I'll also tell you this. I think there are athletic directors uh, in this area, uh, in this city, in this region, who oftentimes reach out to Tim uh, to sort of gauge the temperature. So it's not like we're throwing some crackpot out there This is a guy that a lot of sitting athletic directors value his opinion. Yeah, and yet the one school that he loves above any and all, and by the way, Tim did not put either of us up to to this, right? Just let's put that out there and make this clear. We both know Tim really well, and it just has been, you want to sit back and put your hair, pull your hair out at what they're doing because, look, I don't want to be in this job and bang the drum and criticizing them any more than I have to. It's not good for your health professionally or personally. But when you keep doing stupid things, I think your job is to call them out on it. And that was just – that's just one of the the million mind-numbingly dumb things that they have done that continue to really hurt any chance of success in that AD, which, again, brings me back to the question of how much do they really want to succeed. Yeah, and look, um, I'm biased. Tim and I go back a long ways together. We were both in school at Vandy at the same time, which, for the record, was during the uh, Willard Fillmore administration. And um, I just know that Tim is really wired into the athletic community based on what it is he does for a living. And to ignore him is stupid. I want to go back on a couple of You like other that things. Willard Fillmore thing, by the way? Yeah, except I think it was Millard. Millard, Willard, whatever. Right. <laughs> could, Ralph Willard, Millard, you know, whatever it was. Whoever it was, it was wouldn't have president. mattered. Well, and if <laughs> Millard Fillmore had advice on the athletic hire, they probably would have ignored that too. When was Fillmore the president? I don't know why that name popped <sighs> into my mind, but. Uh, 1800s. Um, yeah. I would be lying if I told you I had the years memorized. We had this presidential song we did, I think, in the fourth grade, so I could still I could, I could unwind and, and get to it, but I don't think that would make for good listening right now. In fairness, I was not around for that election. <laughs> in fairness, nor was I. But um, what we were around for was a lot of, of Candace's tenure before this, too, and, and I just look at things, and, and the other thing is, Again, when you go back to track record, a lot of people say, well, she just got the job. People need to lay off. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, She also ran as a sport administrator. She's been over football and women's basketball for a few years, so that's part of it. Um, and I'm not going to belabor that, but I look at what has happened since she's got the job, and this is really 
what's most important. I look at her accomplishments and what she's said and done and then what hasn't been done. So far, this is how I see it. You tell me if this is unfair. She's not said anything in press releases or press conferences, so we don't have any timeline on facilities or anything. You had the media relations fiasco. I have some concerns about basketball. They are, in the midst of all these concerns about budget, they are now paying David Grace $275,000 this year not to work. Uh, They've replaced him with Damani Hendricks, who has no experience. They now have the least experienced staff in college basketball. Uh, According to a database, it goes back to 2007. No staff that has coached anywhere has had less experience than what these guys have. Uh, Other programs have been allowed to work out since July the 20th. Now, not all of them are. Uh, Most of these are schools like Marquette and Creighton that don't have football. But you've got the football players over there working out, so why aren't the basketball players working out too? That's a good question. Uh, You've had the issues with football with the air conditioning, with the food, with the shower issues. I'm told that the air conditioning issue finally got fixed once that went public. Um, They've only had 60 players on campus because all the summer school stuff has been taken back. For years, that has hampered schools or hampered the school because it couldn't get kids to come to campus to work out because the school would not pay for summer school. Malcolm Turner took that away. My understanding is that's been rolled back under her watch. So now they don't have all their players on campus who can work out. They still don't have priority registration for players. I don't know, George. You know, she is five months, almost six months into her tenure. And, and yes, on one hand, I think it is fair to say she's got a long way to go and some time to prove herself. But I keep looking at what is in front of us in terms of what she's done when she's had the opportunity. And I find a lot of things that are big red flags when she's been in charge and I can't find a lot that is tangible. I know she's got supporters. I know people still believe in her, but I'm wondering what is it that that she has done that we don't know about that we can't see because I just keep looking at the public track record as it piles up and I'm not seeing it. Yeah, look, um, it's hard to argue any of what you're putting out there and, and I'm not trying to. What I do know in my heart is that for for that person out there that's listening to this, who is a Vanderbilt, and you're, how is this going to get better? In my mind, and I've been saying this some, there's only two ways that I see anymore. The first one which doesn't appear to be happening is that Greg Sankey comes up here. He asks for a meeting with dear Meyer and Candace, and he looks both of them in the eye and says, I don't want to be an alarmist, but the look that you all are putting out, the vibe doesn't look good. And as the commissioner of the league, uh, I feel like I, I deserve an answer. Are you all in or are you out? Well, of course they're going to say they're in, And when they say they're in, he needs to pull out a sheet of paper that looks pretty official on nice SEC stationery and basically say to Deermeyer, here are the things that in the next six to nine months I want answers on, beginning with the football stadium. What what are the, you know, that's, that's one way that it could get better is by Sankey forcing the issue, uh, 
because he has the power to force it. He has the check and he has the conference presumably behind him. The other one involves Tim Corbin. Tim Corbin is, in my mind, by far the most powerful athletic person on that campus. He's won two national titles. He's beloved by everybody. What he says has to be paid attention to. And if he came out right now and said, I am really concerned about the direction all this is going, oh, my God, the level of, you know, huddling up inside Kirkland in this new media relations world, man, I'd be interested to see the stuff they'd put out. The bottom line being that Tim Corbin uh, could elicit change. He is that powerful. He has that level of influence. If he would speak up, something would happen. And in my mind, Chris, those are the only two things left that a Vanderbilt fan can hope for to elicit real change. Well, and you and I both know Tim pretty well. I don't think he would ever do that. Well, I'm not saying he's going to, and I don't know that deep down I'm saying he should, but you know when he goes home, he has to be looking around going, what the hell have I signed up for? And if he's true to himself, when he looks in the mirror, what he's signed up for right now, it ain't all that good. And he's got to be concerned. Uh, he has built this powerhouse, um, you know, and he's looking around probably going, anybody with me? And the answer is, doesn't look like it. You know, let's say that we are wrong about her, and I don't think we are, but She's still got chapters she can write that, that are completely within her power. Uh, and, and if they're not within her power, then get somebody in there who, who can do this, right? I don't think that, um, you know, if you don't feel like you're capable of doing the job, then step step aside. Um, if you really cons- are concerned about athletics and you feel like your hands are tied, then you know, come to me or somebody, and, and there are people out there that can help you win the PR war. Uh, which, by the way, from my understanding – Malcolm Turner did some of those things. Uh, the Mason thing was uh, one of those things with facilities. Um, he used that as an opportunity where he couldn't fire the coach to try to get it out there to get the school to admit that it needed some facility stuff. From what I hear, she was not crazy about that idea because it made the school look bad. But there was stuff like that that, that again, background is really important here. And if I'm Candace and I don't like what's being said about me, I come out with stuff. I show plans. I agree to be transparent. And to me, her responses to things are very telling. She never has a comment. From what I'm told, the Monday after the story that I wrote broke about media relations and the peek behind the curtain story, instead of coming out to her staff in a Zoom meeting and saying, you know, all this is wrong. This is what we're going to do. This is when we're going to do it. Hang tight. From what I understand, she had Jordan Matthews, who's never worked for her, uh, but from what I understand, would very much like a job there, to come out and lead off the meeting by saying, hey, Candace is great. If everybody will stick with her, things are going to work out. 
Um, and then follow that up when she spoke by telling people if they're not happy with stuff, uh, you know, we know we have leaks there. You don't have to work here. If I've got a plan that's defensible, I come out with that and I try to instill confidence that way. Again, the way that she seems to respond to stuff suggests to me that there is not much of a plan in place in order to go forward and do some positive stuff for athletics. Because if I had it at that point, that's the good spot to use it. The only argument I would have to what you put out there is that I don't know under what conditions she's working. I don't know um, what she's allowed to say and what she's not allowed to say. But let's just go on the assumption that she's got certain factors making her job harder. At some point, if she knows that, if in her heart she really wants to do good things for Vanderbilt athletics. And I'm not going to question that because I wouldn't question that on anybody. I'm going to go on the assumption that she wants to, but I wonder under what conditions she's dealing and does she even realize what it is she may be fighting or or does she even realize that she may have been put in the role of being a puppet? She may not see it that, Kirkland's over there going, we can get whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. We've got the right person in there. She may not know that. She may not have come to grips with that. But if that is a factor, and I suspect it is, she better figure it out soon and and start, you know, fighting back a little bit. Yeah, and sometimes that's awfully tough to do when you make $800,000 a year. Um it's a lot easier to bend to somebody else's will. I, look, I, I don't I don't know. I, I think that she is a person who has been trained by the system. She's got an idea of how to do her job. I don't think she has ever been interested in being an agent of change over there. That's my opinion. Uh, but it's also based on a lot of stuff that people have told me through the years. So maybe she's unhappy with it. And if she's unhappy with it, this is a time where – she has got the power. The perception of Vanderbilt is so bad. She's got, I think, the power to use the hammer to force the issue publicly. I just don't know that she's interested in doing that, and I don't have a lot of proof that she is. I don't know how anybody can look at what's going on and be happy with it. I don't know how she could look at it and be happy with it. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how Jordan Matthews could look at it and be particularly happy with it. Um, I get the, the fact that you want to support a friend. I, I'm, I'm all into that. But in the end, how the school is doing athletically is what's important to an athletic fan. And the problem is right now, most of the people out there just don't see outside of baseball, they don't see enough good news. And, and frankly, they don't see much of any good news. If you took baseball out of the mix, and that's not fair because it's been a program that has achieved at such an incredible level. But if you take that out of the mix, the rest of it right now isn't very pretty. 
Let's go to the mailbag, which is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and insurance agent Josh Minton. He's an independent insurance agent operating in Brentwood. He is my insurance agent. He can take care of your needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. Dorking says, what's going to happen with SEC football this fall? Will they play? Will fans be allowed? What will the schedule look like? Well, I think we're really close to getting the answers. The ACC uh, presidents and all their big wigs are meeting today. And I would look for the ACC to come out with something in the next 48 hours. I don't see how the SEC could wait much longer. Here's what I think they're going to do because I don't think they've got any choice. I think they're in a four-corner stall right now, hoping to get better news. And you say, what better news? But that's what you're going to do. He says, we're going to revisit this on X date with a plan to start football uh, games on the weekend of, I'm making up stuff here, September 24th. Well, th- this is just one person's opinion, and everybody's got one, and mine is no more educated than anybody's. But when I look around, football seems like a breeding ground for this virus. The one thing we know is this virus isn't going away until we have a vaccine. The one piece of good news is that the vaccine stuff seems really encouraging. I think college football's best bet is to root for all those scientists to come up with a vaccine by the end of this calendar year so that college football could go to something like a, I don't know, mid-February, March, April, or mid-March, April, May uh, in a spring season, play eight or ten games. Honestly, Chris, I just don't see the 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 road the blueprint where we're going to play college football in the fall. I just don't see it. For me, that goes day to day. I mean, some days I'm with you, and ten minutes later, I'm thinking, "Well, sure, sure they will." I really don't know. Well, here's the part you can take to the bank. Okay. They're not going to go down without a real fight because there's way too many millions and billions of dollars of TV money at stake. If the TV money were not so important, this would long since have been decided. And the leagues, a lot of the leagues where the money isn't the factor have already gone ahead and just admitted what we all know. And that is, this is probably not a real good idea, this concept of fall you know, in in the fall playing college football. So I think you're going to see a four-corner stall that buys them another three to four weeks. And ultimately, I believe that they're they're going to have no choice but to root for the people in the in the science labs to come with a vaccine early enough that it could make a difference for spring football. Okay, tell me agree or disagree. I'm going to work at this from two ends. I'm going to look at it from the baseball end of what's going on now and then try to translate that to college sports. 
on the baseball end, that's their only job. Their job is to get up and play ball and stay quarantined to do the things that they're supposed to do in order to perform their jobs, which apparently the Marlins did not do very well. But let's say that if baseball does that and the plan falls apart, I don't see any way college football can do it because you have kids who have class responsibilities, they're less mature, they probably are less likely to to listen to adults and do things they're supposed to do. They're going to go party. They're doing all sorts of things. So I'm not going to say that if baseball works, football will work. But I think if baseball doesn't work, it is very hard to see how college football will work. It's a really good point. Um, I know that a lot of the college football commissioner types have been watching this baseball thing really close because they need some – hint of good news that gives them a reason to try this the momentum to say well baseball has made this work they've dealt with some issues but you know it came out okay and to be honest about it if you want to find some good news the good news on the baseball front appears to be that the other however many teams 29 teams nobody else is testing positive right now which I find a little bit surprising and also very encouraging. So it's not like there isn't some encouraging news. Um, but I just don't know. I, I don't know how they're going to make this work. And I'll tell you where I really don't understand it. And we're going to have a long talk today on the show about it. You know, in the last couple of days, you've had 10 or 15 names in the National Football League who have popped up and said, I don't feel comfortable. I'm opting out. What if the college starting quarterback tries to opt out? Number one, you know how some of these coaches be around the country. They would absolutely put that guy on a blacklist and make his life miserable. The college kids, that have half a brain can't be real comfortable about what it is they're seeing and what they're being proposed to be thrown into. But if one of them were to walk in right now, in particular, a quarterback at a school that really needs that quarterback to be good. Holy cow. Can you imagine? Players have more bargaining power right now than I believe they have ever had, which you know, for them, it's probably good that this name, image, and likeness thing is also somewhere between the back and the front burner, depending on the day. Uh, it's come in and out of the news cycle. But, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I wonder if we want to have something happen like you've seen in these lesser bowl games where kids that are NFL first-round draft picks just say, I'm going to sit it out, rest my body, and get ready for the combine if a kid is a first-round pick already, I don't know, you might not have the incentive to do all the things you do and put yourself at risk for injury or virus or whatever and play the season. That's the other thing. I think if you start seeing some first-round names come out, because – and here's another thing, George. I hadn't thought of this until now. There's so many times you see kids that are first-round picks this time of the year that – play the season and then they drop to the fifth or sixth round or sometimes out of it entirely. Right. 
if you are already in that stratosphere where you're thought of as a first-round pick, you've got the perfect cover just to sit everything out. Well, and you would really see that if you had spring football. Trevor Lawrence gets brought up a lot. It's like he's the poster child of what would be wrong with spring football because there's no doubt a bunch of those kids would end up saying, screw this, you know, I'm training for my NFL life, and I wouldn't blame them at all. But I'm going to go back to the scenario that I put out there a few minutes ago. It's a lot easier for the pro football player with a union that isn't going to put up with any team's crap. It's a lot easier for that player to walk in and say, I've made the decision to opt out for personal family reasons. And really, the teams don't have a lot they can do about it. They've just got to sort of grin and bear it. But on the college level, there's not a union backing the kid where he can pick up the phone, call the head of the union and say, let me tell you what my coach said to me. Let me tell you the threat that was thrown at me. They don't have that. And I agree, they do have more power than they used to, but they don't have the ability to pick up the phone and call the union and say, put a stop to this mess. Well, the Patriots dynamic is also interesting. I've heard about this. I'm trying to Google it as we speak, but you had Dante Hightower opt out. Yeah, um, that's a, with another one. Yeah, and that's a really interesting dynamic, and, and who knows, maybe it's further evidence that that dynasty is falling apart. But it's very interesting to me that that's where some of this is sort of focused lately is that group of players. It's really interesting because there's some big money involved in some of these opt-outs. I'll admit I'm surprised by the number that have already done it, and I think that number is only going to get bigger. But we have not heard yet. Can you think of a case on the college level where a kid has openly said, I'm opting out? No, but I haven't also gone over that in detail. Right. I haven't either, but you know full well that in private moments, there are kids thinking about this. And not only are they going to get coaching staff pressure, they'll also get a lot of peer pressure that probably doesn't go on on the pro level. Well, and I think, too, herd mentality exists maybe more than it ever has with Twitter and the way that the news and views can spread more quickly than ever before. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the dynamics that wasn't out there if this had happened 20 years ago. But to be honest, I don't sense that the NFL players who have made the decision to opt out are catching a lot of crap. Uh, I don't don't sense that Nick Markakis, when he he said, I'm opting, I never Markakis. Um, you know, he put out a pretty passionate statement that, you know, he talked to Freddie Freeman and the worst of Freeman's COVID experience. I'm just saying that I think it is harder for the college kid to just decide to opt out than it is for the pro athlete. And I don't think it's even close. Yeah, I think you're right. If you're the pro athlete, you've already banked millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars or maybe hundreds of millions of dollars Uh, in college you got your whole life in front of you you've got the blackballing that could happen if you try to transfer you've got the stuff that you need to try to get to the league I mean again I think the kids who hold the cards 
are the ones that have already banked a body of work and are going to get picked high. But the rest of them out there, I don't know in some ways how much leverage they have, again, unless that comes as sort of a group thing with a lot of people doing the same thing. Bingo. Next one comes from Starwalker VU. Is there any movement or has there been any discussion of forming a group made of former athletes and alums to get things done with Vandy Athletics? Well, I will say this. I think that may be the third option uh, that's out there, but it's a very difficult one because so many of the athletes, the high-profile ones, don't live here. Uh, That's not to say they don't care, and it's not to say that they're not keeping up, but I wonder sometimes if they know all the day-to-day stuff that somebody like you knows. I I doubt it, but that may be the third the third option, uh, which is a very difficult one to create, um, it just is, but it may well be the third option out there besides the Sankey visit and Tim Corbin blasting off about what's going on. Well, it's just amazing to me that it hasn't happened because I think there's power in groups. Look, it's easy to dismiss somebody like me who says something a lot of people don't like, and George, you've seen it happen. We've both seen it happen. Like I said, I think we are in a propaganda war, which is one reason that I tried to do the podcast today and say, well, there was this side about Candace and there was that side about Candace. Well, let's look at the facts at what's in front of us, which really aren't debatable. So I think that it's going to take, if anything's ever going to get changed, if you're out there listening and you think that the university is going to fix this on your own, I think you're foolish. There's no evidence that'll happen. I do think that is ultimately the only way that anything will get fixed. It'll be transparency and journalism to bring products or problems to the forefront. And George, you know, I've paid a price for that at times, um, which I would do it again. I would do all of it over again, knowing the consequences. But I think there's also got to be a group that's going to have to take the ball and run from here. And I really hope it happens because if it doesn't, none of this is going to matter. I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying it's hard it's hard to do because you have so many of your most high-profile athletes that are not here, and they may not have all the information that you have. I know they have the passion in a lot of cases because I deal with some of them uh, from, from the days when I broadcast. But uh, it, it's not an easy one, uh, in particular with this school, because probably more of this school's athletes are scattered uh, than you might say, let's throw a state school out there, University of Georgia. Uh, it's probably more of a scattering around the country. I think the thing that has really hit home with me in the last few months is how little the school tells the truth how much it will do to mislead people, uh, to even gaslight people at times, and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it is really shocking for people that are in the business of public service how much of that actually seems to go on within that campus as it relates to its athletes. It's really a shame. I think it was uh, Joe Johnson that made the comment at Tennessee that the front door, something like the front door to the university, is through Neyland Stadium or something like that. 
I don't think the the Vanderbilt Kirkland Hall people get how many of their alums and friends of the school gets them what's going on in athletics. It's a unifier. Oftentimes it's a, it's a creator of great feeling, alumni support, all of the above. They just seem to be a school that's never figured that out or wanted to believe that that's important. I think part of the problem is they all get paid absurd amounts of money and they get promoted to stations above where they're really competent. And the pressure when you're making that kind of money to toe the company line and to protect your own interests is enormous. And I think that's how they've gotten away with a lot of stuff. I mean, Beth Fortune, who was the PR person, I think, before Steve Ortel, I think Beth was making in the low seven figures, which is crazy. I think one thing they do is they pay people a whole lot of money. And if you start speaking out or bucking the system, then you're going to lose that. And I think that's why it's this cooperative not going to say it's a coordinated effort because they don't know that, but just think about the dynamics of that and the disincentive to speak out and change the system. And I've worked in higher ed. I've seen how it happens. A lot of times you get a group of people who are collectively incompetent and they know that if they leave that school, they cannot get a job with the, with the title or the pay that they're going to make on the outside world. There becomes an incentive to stick together and buck the system and to have everybody's back and not so much doing their jobs. And I think that's a big problem over there, too. Oh, listen, it's a great point. Um, I'll just be the cynic and say, well, it isn't radio uh, when it comes to the salaries. (laughs) No, I mean, and look, this happens in a lot of other fields, too. But as people know, I worked in higher ed, I think, for 17 years, and I've seen it firsthand, and and it makes – what Vanderbilt does so easy for me to recognize because I have watched it happen. Yeah. Agree. With that, let's end the show. George, thank you so much for your time today. Tell people about your show when it's on, where they can get it and anything else that you'd like to promote, which of course would include your Twitter handle. Yeah, I am on Twitter, George Plaster TN. I would love for you to, Take a look at it and follow me. I try to put out information every day about the show that I do, which is 2 to 4 o'clock on WNSR, which is 560 on the AM dial and 95.9 on FM. Today at 3 o'clock, and this has been the case now for a couple of months, a former bandy basketball player, Lee Fowler, who later uh, was the athletic director at NC State and also the chairman of the NCAA men's basketball selection committee lee will come on and we'll get into all of the um all of the college covid issues that are out there there are a ton of them lee is really wired to this stuff has great contacts in the college athletic world and he'll be with us uh actually today from 240 to 4 so i would invite anybody to listen because we'll get into a lot of this same stuff George, thank you for listening. Thank you for, excuse me, thank you for, you did You did do a lot of listening today. <laughs> Maybe, you didn't mean that. Did I, didn't, I didn't mean it, but perhaps I should have. But anyway, thank didn't you for joining us today. It not the way you wanted it to. No, sometimes it doesn't. Um, 
But anyway, uh, thank you for being with us today. I'm sure we will be, hopefully we'll be back to doing these again soon with their sports. Um, God knows we all need it. Uh, God bless you and your family and take care and we will do this again soon. Listen, be out there, stay safe, uh, where possible, wear a mask. See you later. He is George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.